This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a place that treats addicts with compassion and connection rather than control. They have a staff with years and years and years of treating co-occurring mental health disorder, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, and I've heard firsthand that it's true. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, fucking sweat lodge, surfing, equine therapy, you name it, they've got it. And if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get well, I strongly recommend going to Aloe. All right, I just want to tell you guys about a new podcast from my friends at Colorado Public Radio that I think you will love. It's called Back From Broken. It's all about recovery, the highest highs, the darkest moments, and what it takes to make a comeback. You'll meet guests who dealt with substance abuse, PTSD, gambling addiction, and hear how they turn their lives around. Some guests are famous. Others just have amazing stories that are raw, funny, and actually really hopeful. Listeners on Apple Podcasts call it powerful, gutsy, and relatable. Somebody even wrote a review on Dopey saying it was amazing. Um, Find Back From Broken from Colorado Public Radio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you can listen. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you through the power of the Dopey Podcast Patreon account. And this week on Dopey Patreon, we have the return of Ray. So if you're dying to hear what happened to Ray, go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast and check it out. If you love Dopey, kick down a couple bucks. Why not? I would love to stop working at a, at a deli. All $2 a month or more subscribers get a free decal. So uh, sign up for Patreon. Get the uh, most amazing Patreon content in the world. You hear from the Dopey Nation. Also, if you want Dopey merchandise, uh, we work with a company called SRO Prince, which is all uh, recovering heroin addicts, and they came up with a ton of really, really cool merch this month. There's new double-sided shirts. There's tote bags. There's mugs. There's there's crop tops, if you guys are interested in that kind of thing. There's tank tops, there's long sleeves, there's hoodies. Check it out at uh, dopeypodcast.com. And I still have a few snapbacks left. The good news is I'm shipping in the morning. I have my shipping list ready to go. If you're waiting, it should come by early next week. If you want a snapback or a ski hat or the uh, dopey stickers, just hit me up on Venmo at Dopey Podcast. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and it has been a crazy fucking week. And um, and we are going to reflect on it with our show today because you can't have a week like this with riots in the street, with peaceful protests, with violence across the country, with 
everybody going crazy about systemic racism and Dopey not cover it. But before we jump into all this topical stuff, I want to tell a quick story. This week, uh, not only was the uh, pandemic continuing and not only was the violent and uh, incredibly active uprising of America, which has been inspiring and scary at the same time, it was also my 46th birthday. And um, yes, I'm a little bit narcissistic, but I want to share this story because it was uh, just incredibly meaningful to me. Um, We're in pandemic, and my birthday was on um, Monday, and Linda's parents came over, and my dad came over, and um, I was going to barbecue, and I did barbecue. I barbecued chicken and sausage and some... cooked asparagus in the oven and uh and linda let me cook so i wouldn't have to sit around and talk to people and she knows i prefer cooking than sitting around and talking to people and we had lunch and um linda got me this nice set of bongos which i've always wanted and linda's mother got me a gift card to um the gardening store so i got a bunch of plants and stuff and my daughter nora wrote me this speech And uh, it was like the most emotional speech ever um, to me. She 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 said how lucky she was to have me as her father and uh, and all of the things I've done for her. And um, and she got really emotional and I got really emotional and my dad got really emotional and Linda got really emotional. And I think we all basically cried at the same time. And Nora had to stop reading the speech and she came over and she hugged me. It was nuts because, you know, 10 years ago I was uh, shooting dope, you know, uh, and she was a baby and I was running home from Long Island uh, to shoot dope or I was hiding out from her in Queens and I scraped and I clawed to get into her life and to stay into her life and to, uh, and that, I mean, I got clean and I, and she thinks I got clean for her, but I didn't get clean for her. Um, I got clean for myself because I couldn't live with the idea of not being a good father to her. And, um, and it was just amazing to, to have her read me this thing. It just, it was overwhelmingly emotional and, um, it was probably the best birthday present I'll ever get. And it happened during this incredible time of upheaval the night before I was watching the news and I was watching the riots Uh, And I was watching my city burn and uh, just the almost uh, nonsensical, disparate, like groups of people, white people, black people, separate, going crazy through the city, breaking shit, stealing shit, hurting each other, cops hurting people, people hurting cops, just chaos over uh, this injustice. And I... um, got to have a respite of it for my birthday from my incredible 10-year-old daughter. And um, it just made me realize how valuable my recovery is. I mean, obviously, my whole life is my recovery, everything about it. Obviously, Dopey is because I'm in recovery, and my family is because I'm in recovery, and I get to think. And um, I know that before I had recovery, I never would have cared about this riot, about George Floyd, about... uh, I always hated racism, but I wouldn't have cared about all this stuff in the same way. So, you know, that's just my my quick anecdote about um, how lucky I am to have uh, this family because of my 
sobriety. And I know this show is like not meant to be an emotional schmaltzy show about family and recovery and whatever, but like this was really meaningful and and I never imagined that I would have the life that I have right now. All I cared about was what kind of drugs I could get and how many of them I could get and uh, and what I, what I would do if I went into withdrawal and how was I going to maintain it. And I didn't care about really building anything or sustaining anything. And the fact that I could learn to live uh, a much better life where I'm actually of use to other people, most importantly my kids, uh, it makes me realize that that you guys should know that too, that anyone out there struggling, if you fucking give it a shot to get it together, you basically have unlimited potential. And if you don't get it together, every time you use, you could die. Uh, every show we make, all I could think about is Chris. Every time we get ready to make a show, I think about where would the show be if Chris hadn't died? You know, what what would we be doing? What would he be doing? What kind of life could he have? And he didn't get to have it because he forgot about how rewarding and, and, and how deadly drugs are and how rewarding recovery can be. That's it. Basically, it's just a chance to be better, to be cooler, and to be more loving. The world is dark and chaotic, and this is our chance to be cooler and more loving and more generous and kinder. And all of that stuff yields a lot of great things in the universe. And the same holds true in the wake of the, of the murder of George Floyd and this uprising of people. You know, if we are cool to all people, if we try to radiate positivity and, and be about something good, good things can come of it. And, you know, I'm rooting for everybody. And, and I think once in a while we have to get down and be schmaltzy and just... You know, if you don't fucking pick up drugs, you don't get high. If you find recovery, you can have a fulfilling life. I, I don't like preaching, but it's important that it's on the show. And I had my you know, one of my best birthdays in quarantine uh, beca- just because I was sober and, and, I, and I've been able to be there for my kid. We're going to move on to the good doctor and Zynga Harrison, who probably will become a regular on the show. I love talking to her, and I really wanted to go over everything that's going on with her. So here she is. All right. In an unprecedented back-to-back appearance, we go back to the well, to the great Dr. Nzinga Harrison. Welcome back to the show. Quite possibly the most amazing introduction I've had all day. Well, that means you haven't had the best introductions today. (laughs) But I'll take it. That's cool. Um, So the world is in, you know, a crazy moment of flux, You know, there are good things, there are bad things, there's hopelessness, and there's hope. Um, What is ruling the day around addicts in Atlanta? Like, what's the the sensibility? Yeah, man. I mean, I think the stress is high for everybody. And so, like you said, this is the, what do you call it, perfect storm? So it's the opioid epidemic. It's the COVID pandemic. Is the racism? It's unreal. Epi pandemic. Epi pandemic. I never even heard of an epi pandemic. I mean, you know, can I coin it? Can I own it? It's yours. Yeah, Doc. man. It's. I mean, just everything coming at a head at once, um, coming to a head. I guess is how you say it at once. And so, people's stress was already high, and people's resilience was already low because we've been getting beat up by COVID and scared, and then this 
George Floyd murder is just like racism exists every single day. And we know that. Right. And as black people, we feel that there's probably almost every single day, depending on what different circumstances you're in. But when it comes to a head like this, it's like, think of it like uh, I say, I mean, you can think of it like like addiction also, but I say think of it like an abusive relationship. Like when it happens again, you get angry at yourself for being shocked that it happened again because you knew it was coming. But just because you knew it was coming actually like makes it worse, right? Makes it worse. What about the, the, the situation, you know, America is basically... Everyone's alone. Everyone's quarantined. And this is what we get to experience together. Like, like how much do you think that plays a part in, in frustrations? Yeah, no, I think that is 100% playing a part because these types of incidents are difficult even when things have been going well, right? So even when you're at the tip top of your game, especially for people in recovery or with people with, um, with active addiction, even when you're like, working your coping skills to the best, your support system is on 10, you're eating, you're exercising, you're doing mindfulness and meditation. When something like this happens, it rips the rug out from under you, right? And it's like hard to get your footing and hard to access your coping skills and hard not to, we know that uh, fear and anxiety and anger, like what do we call it? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? Halt, yes. Halt. Halt. We know all of those are driving freaking cravings and relapse and it's like we we have been hungry from covid right like we've been hungry to be able to hug our loved ones and see our friends can't do it we've been angry like somebody should have seen this coming and where the f are the tests and why are people dying right we've been lonely because we're freaking social distance alone caught up in our house alone we've been tired because we're too scared to sleep nobody can sleep Nobody can sleep, and then when you wake up, you're on goddamn 12 hours of video calls a day, right? <laughs> like, we're hungry, we're angry, we're longer retired. Our resources are already low. And then it's like, America, kick me while I'm down. Well, it's the opposite of being in mindfulness, exercise, good diet. We're alone, eating cake, watching the fucking Tiger King. That's... that. It. that <laughs> It's like the total opposite of, of, of where we could be. It is the total opposite. Do you think that the reaction would be different if we were in a, a healthy place? As, as, you know, I mean, as, as a people, and then I want to break it down to as addicts. Like, how do you think this is affecting addicts? But do you think just as Americans, as white people, as black people, do you think it would have been different had we not been in this situation? 100% would have been different because one part of what COVID took from us is our routine, right? And our routines, like a lot of us just move through life very not mindfully. It's like, oh, the alarm clock goes off at 6.30, you get up, you feed the kids, you go to work, you stay at work until 5, you leave in a rush to get the kids from school, to take them to basketball, to come home, to cook, to go to bed. And then you go to sleep and then you wake up at 630 and you do the whole thing. Right. And there's not really space to occupy any for anything else to occupy. And so the fact that people are at home eating cake, watching Tiger King. Yes. Apparently, like one in four people have lost their jobs since the covid pandemic started here in this country. Then it's like there is nothing else competing 
for Americans' attention right now. Right. And in some ways, that's good. In other ways, it is very difficult, like I said, to take an emotional blow like this when your resources are already used up. Totally. And um, are you finding, working in the field, that more people are relapsing that or, or less? And what more. is that? Okay, so tell us about that. What does that look like? Yeah. So more and anxiety is higher. Like we can pin it on really, I was going to call it three things, but it might be two things. Okay, I'll pin it on three things. One, anxiety is high. Like COVID is just, I mean, it's scary, right? Like it just is. And the uncertainty of not knowing when things are going to get back to close to normal is like very difficult on a brain. So that's going to drive cravings. That's going to drive anxiety, all of that. Number two, you're already anxious, and then you can't access your support system, right? And then number three, you're one, you're anxious. Two, you can't access your support system. Three, you lose your job. You have no so money. So just like, bam, bam, bam. And we know the more stress goes up, 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 the more you feel that anxiety, that fear, that uncertainty, your brain has been trained by that drug, right? Your brain, so your deep brain that happens without your input is like killing the thinking part of your brain that makes your decisions and saying, I know what'll make us feel better. I know what'll make us feel better. I know what'll make us feel better. And it's like only so much of that barrage that you can continue to be under without access to your support system. Right. without a way to get away from it, without something else to distract you from it. And then just when you're like white knuckling it, hanging on for dear life, George Floyd gets murdered, right? And it's like that just like steps on your fingers. And so anxiety is high, stress is high, disconnectedness is high, and now outrage is high. And hopelessness is high, and that leads to relapse for sure. And where you're at, it's are you, you're dealing obviously with white addicts and black addicts. Oh, and 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 are you finding it to be a different response within you know the communities? Like, what what are you seeing different? Yeah, no, definitely. So I think the outrage is real because in many ways, people with addiction can like truly identify with being marginalized and abused and discriminated against. That said, it's like when you are close to somebody and that person has a loved one die, you hurt for them, but it's not possible for you to feel the same level and depth of hurt as that person. Right. Because the person that died, wasn't your, that wasn't your experience, right? Like you're basically feeling the pain for the person you care about, but it's not primary pain. It's empathetic so this, pain, right? It's, empath it's empathy, right? right? Which, is, which is very important. But the difference is like for black people, when we see um, that police officer kill George Floyd, I see him, that is my father, that is my husband, that is my two sons. Right. Right, like that is happening to me. And so what we're seeing um, is like our black members are coming in and really feeling the re-traumatization, the trigger of everything that racism has brought their whole lives generationally before them. Our white members are coming in and they're like really feeling pain but having a difficult time navigating that, right? So like I feel so much pain and I feel guilty feeling this pain because nothing has happened right. to me. 
It's like we right. suck. We suck. Th- these cops <laughs> did this. What am I supposed to do? You know, it, it, right. it's it's a strange, strange feeling. You know, right. it, it, the white the white guilt is running hot right now. You know, yeah. And uh, and I mean, personally, I grew up uh, in a totally pretty diverse, multicultural situation in Manhattan, and I had a lot of white guilt as a kid. You know what I mean? Like a, as a teenager. You know, I I experienced white guilt and shame around being white as a teenager as I understood my whiteness as opposed to other people's otherness. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then I kind of just decided I just wanted to be on the team, meaning, like, I believe in, like, unity and harmony and good stuff and, like, recognizing other people's strengths and, uh, and knowing I am who I am. And there's nothing else I can really do besides be cool, you know, be as cool as I can be to whoever I can be cool to. So, I mean, that assuages white guilt for me for the most part. And I'm grateful that I don't, I'm not like on the edge of my seat. I just feel miserable that the world is the way it is, you know. And obviously I can't feel your pain or, like you said, it's empathetic pain. And it's also total frustration with with the system and with people that have hatred in their hearts, you know, that are fucked up, you know, it's, it's depressing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and this social media like really creates a lot of stress because all of a sudden every person, you know, I I mean, it's a funny post. I saw somebody post every person went from being a, a a disease expert to now being like a race expert. A racism expert. Right. And and it's like that must be having a huge psychological effect on everybody. You know, just like what are you seeing with that? Like I don't feel good, you know, being on Instagram, being on Twitter, being on Facebook. It is a a swirl of misery, frankly. And like when I – like today I took a little bit of a break and I was with my kids and I was just trying to have a day and I felt much better. You know, do you, do you find that uh, that this social like, and then activism through social media, like like this black square, like I fucking I post the black square, right? And um, I'm like, I don't I don't I don't want to be like a fool, and I don't want to be a follower, but I want to show support. And if they say this is going to show support, I'm down. You know, I'll show support. And then I go to bed, and in the morning I wake up, and someone's like, no, the black square doesn't work now. You have to do something else. And I'm like, I felt very nervous, like I had done the wrong thing. So I'm just like, I don't want to play this weird social media game. And I just took it down, and I was like, I'm done. You know what I mean? I, I like, put a nice post about feeling, you know, I don't like police brutality, and I think black lives matter. And that, that was my post. And then I was like, but this is getting crazy. Do you find the social media thing is, like, more helpful or more harmful at this point? Yeah, so, I mean, social media is both helpful and harmful at baseline, right? Like, even when the world is not literally, the country is literally not on fire like it is right now, sometimes you need to take a break from social media. I've been telling people social media is very effective because trust and believe if there had not been a video of this cop killing George Floyd. Wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. There would be no motion, no movement. There would be nothing, right? And so social media can be very effective. That black square, I had the exact same experience that you had. So it was actually my son is 13 years old and he's getting his activism off of TikTok, which I think is amazing, Right. And so he's, like, sending us all these TikToks that are, like, all kinds of white kids and black kids, like, schooling, schooling people. It's amazing. Okay. 
But so he sent us and was like, today is blackout day. Put your black square. And so I had already heard it was blackout day. I wasn't going to do a black square because I'm posting a whole bunch of other stuff. It's fine. I posted that black square to show him that I was responding to his efforts at advocacy. Right. And somebody commented and was like, yeah, Black Lives Matter said don't post the black square. Well, you know what? Fuck them. Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say F Black Lives Matter. No, because, no, no. I don't mean. I, but come on. I know. Okay. I'm just messing with you. I appreciate it. Okay. I don't want to go up the wrong way here. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Right? But I had the exact same reaction you had that was like, you know what? It's support. It's solidarity. I put it there. Like, that's what I did. And so what I've been telling people, there are actually two experiences happening on social media right now. There's one experience which is just like trauma, 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 trauma. This is who the police kicked today. This is who the police pushed down today. This is who the police ran over with the car with today. This is who the police left laying dead in the street today, right? And there's another experience which is this is what you can do. Here's activism. Here's people that are making a difference. Here's an event you can go to. Here's a, And so what I just would encourage people to do, in all honesty, both of those can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. Day in and day out, this is an emotional toll. So what I'm encouraging people, like, curate your social media experience. Make sure you have, are getting a mix of what good is going on, what advocacy is going on, right? Like, what white person is standing in between a police officer and a black person? Like, make sure you're looking at those images. Also, if you're looking at what the police did today. But take a break. So people will give you flack, like, I don't get to take a break from being black. Why should you get to take a break from social media? None of us is any good if we're all used up. So take a break. Hang out with your kids replenish yourself, fill your cup, and then come back to the advocacy in whatever way you're doing it. Whether you're out there protesting, whether you're doing social media, you have to refill your cup because this will empty you without you even knowing. And for people who are in recovery or who are actively using it, when you get empty, your risk jumps off the charts. Right. That's where you become danger vulnerable, you know, incredibly at risk. Incredibly. Now, you're a doctor. You're not only a... Oh, yeah. Beautiful and brilliant, but you're also a doctor. Um, <laughs> Checks in the mail. So, yes, exactly. So the question <laughs> is, do you fear... I mean, now it went from everybody stay home. You need to stay home. If you're not essential, do not leave your house, to you better take to the streets. You better get your voice heard. Peaceful protest all the way, blah, 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 blah. Do you fear the spike in the, yes. in the COVID? 100%. Yes, I fear the spike in the COVID. And we just had a family member, uh, a family meeting, like a big, huge 40 people family meeting. Um, and I was talking about coronavirus, like giving education or whatever. And what I said was, every time we have these protests, every time we have these demonstrations, for those who don't go out, we need to be supremely grateful for the people who do go out. Because every time you go out and do that, you're potentially putting your life at risk. Right now in coronavirus season, that risk is even higher. And so I would counsel people who are in high-risk groups, people who are older, people with chronic medical conditions, like 
if you can find a way to do your advocacy a different way, just post the black, just post the black square, post the black square. (laughs) I would recommend you do your advocacy in a different way, or just be fully cognizant of the risk that you're taking is different than the usual risk of being at a protest. Like I am supremely grateful to our younger, healthy people who are taking that risk for us. And so what I was telling my family was, don't even post, I hope the protest, you know, the protest needs to stay peaceful. Try to distinguish between, because peace alone does not create change. Okay. Right? Just wanting something better, that doesn't work. There has to be a combination of pain and fury and peace and diplomacy And all of that is a whole stew that it has to happen. So just because that may not be the way you would create change, we need to be supremely grateful to the people who are out there risking their lives in front of the police and in front of coronavirus to raise their voices for us. Right. And and it's a a crazy mix. You know, I mean, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, and I never saw anything like what I'm seeing. In... Incredible. I mean, it really has to give you hope, what we're seeing, right? Like, it has never, every single time it seems like this happens, the outrage gets a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. This feels like a big boom. Like, when I'm watching TV and there's a whole, on main network TV, like, these are all of our black anchors talking from their own perspective. Because black people have to go to work and just be okay at work like nothing's going on. Right. And black anchors and black police officers, especially so, right? Like, you just got to go do your job. Like, this pain is not absolutely personal and internal. So the difference, like, when I see them creating space for black police officers to tell of their experiences of racism, when I see them creating space for black anchors to tell their experiences, when I can't, when I gotta count the black people in the crowd instead of counting the white people in the crowd, like this is an amazing time. And I, I, I mean, you hate that it has to come from George Floyd being murdered, but at least there's an outcry and there's outrage. And so, what we have to do when the media dies down, because it will, is. Because it will. They're already trying to pour water on it, right? Like, they're already trying to calm it down. And that's the other part of let the protest stay calm. Let the protest stay calm. It's just trying to take the fury off of it. Because it'll put right? people to sleep if they're sitting around rather than going nuts. I hear right? you. And so it's like, let us seize this moment, but let's also plan for what happens after the media coverage goes away. And, and, and back to filling your cup. So... The fury needs to stay, right? But you have to fill your cup, even in the midst of fury. You have to fill your cup. Otherwise, you're not effective. But what about putting yourself at risk? Obviously, passion and fury is good, but I, I mean, it's painful for me to see the violence, you know, like, and also the division. You know, the vi- there's violent division, and, and like, there's crazy white people doing crazy shit and there's crazy black people doing crazy shit and they're not really doing it together that much you know <laughs> you know the the, the 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 really radical people out there seem to be very much separate you know what i mean the peaceful seems very together but these radical pockets of you know fury uh can be destructive and it, it can be very frightening 
you know, like the yeah. beatings that people are taking, it's like, it's scary, you know, or, or, or also the worst stuff is where the groups are in, in the, the poor neighborhoods and destroying these, these poor people's businesses. And it's like, they're like, yeah, this is a movement, but why are you taking it out on me? And it's very hard yeah. to see, right? Yeah, it, it, it is hard to see, but you know what else is hard to see? Black people getting killed by police and nothing happening. Right, that's... Right, and so it's like we want the benefit of change without the pain of change. Like, this idea, everybody is like, oh, the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement did not make change by peace alone. That was not a peaceful movement, right? And that we teach, like, oh, it was peace that brought about change and civil rights. That's not... The whole story. true. Right. Yeah, that's not the whole story. And so, yes... It absolutely is painful. And no, I would love for nobody to get hurt and for nobody to lose their business and for there to be no violence and for there to be no pain. But change is painful. Right. And so we we, we can't think that we're just going to go ask the police system to be different. Right. In a peaceful protest. And then it's just going to be like, you know what? We hear you finally. You're right. It's also just a, a, it's a violation of the social contract between citizens and cops. So totally. You know, the so idea totally. is that you guys protect us and make it so that we can live. And here right. you are killing us, so we're going to go fucking berserk. And, and, and I hear you, and I, and, I, and I appreciate that. Now, when you talk about, um, you know, black anchors getting to speak their mind or black cops, where, how does it fall on you personally? You know, being a black woman who works as a psychiatrist trying to, you know, as soon as I started talking about my my upbringing, you got very interested, which I appreciated because I don't, <laughs> you know, but but so where do you get to to speak your mind and how does it come out at work and stuff? Yeah, no. So I love that you asked this question. So I'm chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health and very. So this has happened over and over and over in my career. Right. And every single time. I just had to go to work and nobody was saying anything and you just had to go to work and you just had to work as if everything was fine. And so I'm like, I am one of the co-founders of this company and I was like, I do not want to force my people to come to work and act like nothing is going on. And so I just sent a quick email to the rest of my executive colleagues and I was like, you know, the quote by Martin Luther King, which said, when it's over, I don't think that's how the quote starts, but that's the point of it. He says, it will not be the words of our enemies that we'll remember. It is the silence of our friends. Right? And I said, I don't want Eleanor Health to be silent. And I was actually, I mean, it might surprise you because I'm like not ginger. Like I'm not a ginger, timid kind of personality. But I like gingerly sent this email to people that I'm close to at work, right? Like, we're building something from scratch. We are very close. We have great relationships. But all of my past history and experiences told me, when you bring this up, it's going to be a problem. But it wasn't. And it wasn't. Right. And it wasn't. And we put out, you know, we wrote a personal letter to all of our people. We have this check-in ritual. You actually heard it if you listened to the last day, I think episode 23, when they came to Eleanor Health. You heard the check-in ritual at the beginning of every one of our meetings. It's like, what's your color today? 
and what do you need from the team to support you? And what we told the teams in that letter was, you don't have to say you're okay. Like, you can say, I'm not okay, and you can ask us for what you need. And we sent that letter out, we posted it all over social media, and then we did a two hours, all hands, town hall, everybody in the company, where we just very honestly let people be hurting. And then we're putting together a whole ongoing response for after the media dies down. Right. Right? Well, not to but mention, so you're, you're... That was a totally different experience. Right. Because, but you're in mental health. You know what I mean? You're, mm-hmm. you're working with people's mental well-being. And mm-hmm. if you sweep something under the rug, how could that be good for anybody's mental health? It can't be. And, and the same thing I'm saying, like, you have to fill your own cup to be effective. Like, we were saying that to our people, too, right? Like, we have people to take care of. We can't ask you to just swallow this and pretend it doesn't exist because guess what? The people who are coming in are hurting, too. They need to know that they can bring it up to us. They need to know that they can say, I'm not okay, and that we have the ability to talk about racism, which is scary to talk about. Well, they need, I mean, in this moment of history, they need to talk about it. You know, you need to, like, unburden yourself when you get clean if you're actually going to give it a shot of finding who you are you need to give this shit up and like i didn't i didn't want to do a show about this you know this is not in the dopey wheelhouse frankly you know dopey is supposed to be about dumb drug stories you know um (laughs) but like and i have a bunch of dumb drug stories on deck some really cool interviews but this shit happened and like i haven't cared about the news like, I don't even know how long it's been. Like, when, when Chris and I started the show, we would laugh. Like, Trump became president. Everybody was upset. And we'd be like, I don't really care. Because nothing really mattered to us except, like, I mean, our sobriety mattered. And, uh, and my family mattered. But, like, all of a sudden, I'm finding things matter to me where I never had that happen. And it's weird. Like, are you finding that that people who were apathetic to everything all of a sudden are finding themselves caring about something? 100%, right? Like, people who would typically respond to this and say, well, what did he do? Right? Or people who would feel the... Him meaning George Floyd, you mean? Him, George Floyd. What did George Floyd do? Right. What did well, he do to deserve see, being murdered in the street? Yeah, right. we didn't see what happened before this. Let's wait until all the facts come out, right? Like, there's usually a very healthy contingent on that on my social media pages when incidents like this happen. And it is like those same people that said those kind of things before are like, this matters. Like, somehow this got to people. People who were giving us hell for me and during the national anthem I promise you when football season comes around. Everyone's going to be kneeling. Everybody's going to be kneeling. Everybody's going to be kneeling, for real. Everybody's going to be kneeling. It is, and, and that is what we need, right? Like to your point earlier when you were talking about the two radical poles and how far apart they are, what we need is for this to matter to everybody. Right. What I'm surprised is that they're finding... Not only did poor George Floyd, and God bless him, uh, have fucking COVID, but he, w- he had meth in his system and fentanyl in his system. You know, and I'm surprised I'm not seeing more people being like, this drug addict was probably wiling out, this, this guy was a junkie, this, this, this. Why aren't we hearing more of that kind of stuff? Like, what do you think that's about? 
Yeah, I think it's because the video was so egregious. Like, right. you literally heard just, like, scores of people screaming. Right. He's dying. He's dying. He's dying. And you saw this police officer with zero F-U-C-K-S's. Yes. Well, he and looked I like think- the devil. I mean, that dude, like, the look on his face... You're just, it's a scary, scary, scary. It guy. was as if the people screaming he's dying was like feeding him. It was it, right. It, it, I mean, just it was, and so I think just having that visual. It's like similarly, I saw this um, article piece, whatever, a long time ago about the images that propelled the civil rights movement forward. Okay. And one of those sentinel images was the dog yeah, yeah. about to attack that man. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like this is that same kind of catapult moment. Like, there's no way you can look at that and not feel abject horror. It's bananas. And so I think that's what it is. And these I guys, those is. fucking co- excuse my language, those cops. I keep cursing, and you're not interested in that. These co- I, I don't. I love cursing. Okay. These fucking these about? fucking cops standing around him. Like, how do they? How does that even happen? Like, like is it some co- police code? Like, like, and I I know we need the cops. You know what I mean? We need of course. we need police. We need the cops. Not all cops are bad, but how do you how do you not stop? the man from killing the dude on the ground like what is i mean how and how can they not be charged like thank god like this whole thing like it got us to the point where they got charged you know because they would not have been right right and he probably been at work the very next day and he probably wouldn't have been charged either had they not burned down that precinct in the first place correct so well you as always are a ray of sunshine so thank you for. I, I want to. I want to respect our time. You know what I'm saying. Thank you. I want to respect I gotta our. Got to go hang out with my teenagers. Yeah, you got to eat cake and catch up on Tiger King. You heard? Yeah, velvet cake. Did you hear Carol Baskin got all of his money? I don't know if you're following the. the she got. I watched the whole thing. She got no way. today. Came out. She got all of his money. My mother-in-law goes. No. You wouldn't believe it. Carol Baskin <laughs> got all of his money, and I was like, "Don't you know there's a man dead?" No, no I'm just. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but that. No. So yeah. So that's bad news. Oh. Please, please enjoy your family. It was, uh, it was wonderful to have you on again, and, um, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. I'm glad we made it happen. No doubt. All right. I feel like I'll see you again. I'm sure you will. I tr- <laughs> I'll turn up like a bad penny. Um, <laughs> and if you ever need anything from me, just, you know, give the word. I'm here for you. You know it. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye. I love having Nzinga on the show, Dr. Harrison. She's amazing. She makes me happy. She's funny. She's smart. She, she tells it like it is, which is all we can hope for in the dopey nation. And if you guys are out there and running around in the streets, do your best to be careful. Don't hurt anybody. Don't steal a fucking monkey from the zoo, all right? In other news, and most importantly, in dopey sports history, today might be the most important day in the history of dopey sports because today, 45 years ago, Doc Ellis threw a no-hitter high on acid and speed. And uh, it's just such a crazy story. So I'm going to read a little excerpt that I found. Um, It basically says that this story didn't break for many years, although rumors spread from the moment Ellis took the mound. It's one of the most defining stories of the era in retrospect. It is certainly synonymous with the name Doc Ellis, but for the pitcher himself, it was simply an experience he used as a springboard to something even dearer to him than baseball. 
I think it'd be more dear to him, not dearer. Anyway, Ellis's LSD experimentation was not the real drug scourge of Major League Baseball at the time. It was so-called greenies, a rudimentary amphetamine, amphetamine that hundreds of players were hooked on to stay focused and energetic. Ellis was no exception. He also developed issues with alcohol and other recreational drugs. Shortly after his career ended, he'd had enough. Ellis hadn't played a single game sober, according to Rolling Stone. Now he would resolve to stay sober for the rest of his life. He became an outspoken advocate for disadvantaged people with substance abuse problems. His experience as a well-paid yet personally miserable addict, including his bizarre LSD no-no, became fuel for his counseling tactics. Eventually, Ellis turned back to baseball, helping players struggling with addiction overcome their issues. Ellis should be remembered for his wild, wacky no-hitter, but said no-hitter should always be tied to the man he became, a powerful advocate for personal improvement. And they're doing a documentary on this guy. I strongly suggest checking it out. And this guy would have been a phenomenal dopey guest. So 45 years ago today, Doc Ellis threw a no-hitter while tripping on acid. And another famous acid taker is the great Bob Forrest, the, uh, the great patron of Dopey. And I wanted to get Bob's take on this era, this crazy time of civil unrest and pan-epidemic crisis. And here he is, the great Bob Forrest. Babylon is burning, so where do I go? I go to Bob. Bob Forrest, welcome back to the show. Here we are in the land of chaos. <laughs> Here we are in the land that, of where nothing makes sense. So what land is that, Dave? It's America. It's the dopey land. Oh, dopey, dopey nation. Land. Dopey nation. The world has become dopey nation. Well, dopey nation has a leg up on the world right now, I think. Nothing makes sense. How about the fact that you know, and I know a lot of people are scared, and I'm trying to say, I don't think there's anything to be scared of. Nothing makes sense. So how can you be scared of anything? The things you should be scared of, uh, don't. It, it's not panning out, right? You had the coronavirus. I survived. I survived you the coronavirus. But how's your wife, by the way? How is she doing? She's good. She survived. We survived. Um, but you know, a ton of, a ton of people didn't survive, but, but most people survived. But now even with the fear of the coronavirus, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are taking to the streets across America. That's what I was going to say. So, so, and I hate to be partisan, but it is kind of a partisan issue. So 11 days ago, liberals said, no one leave their homes. You have to wear a mask. You have to stay six feet away. You have to, we're all going to die. Yes. And now, because, because of this horrible tragedy in Minnesota, all that, forget about all that. Get into the parks and the streets and let's stand up for justice. Take to the streets. It's madness. It's ma There's no one in charge anymore. And and what about the chaos of the rallies themselves? You got Trump treating it like it's 1968 at the Democratic Convention. And then the next night, you got people line dancing to Kendrick Lamar in Los Angeles. Like, and, and, and just the whole country is just so crazy. And see, I've always been crazy, so... 
So I just always felt like, oh, the normal people or the majority or the, the status quo or whatever, I'm not that. And now when the whole world is crazy, Dave, I start to think, well, I'm not that either. Right. I'm not that either. I'm not going to line dance to Kendrick Lamar in the downtown park because we're supposed to be a little careful about social distancing. All of a sudden, right? you're, you're, you're seeming very sane is what you're saying. <laughs> that's, that's how crazy shit has gotten. Well, it is it is bananas. It, it is bananas time, and and nothing is explainable. You know. It, hey, I found out some. I want you to do some dopey, dopey underground news reporting. Okay. I heard that De Blasio is actually not his real name. The mayor's changed his name. He made that name up, like Flea made up his name. Flea, I'm Flea. Like the De Blasio is not the mayor's real name. Is that true or not true? Well, I don't know anything, Bob. What, what do you What do you think his name is? Smith, and he wanted a nice Italian name. No, it's an Irish name. I I, I mean, he doesn't look. I mean, listen, I, I I can't really pick out an Italian from an Irishman, but he looks more Irish than Italian to me. Yeah, to the yeah, lame, he's Irish. To my layman Jewish eyes, you know, they all look the same to me. Irish, Italian. I, I can't. See, I don't see the difference. Um, I live in, so, uh, I live so in, the, do you feel like, does New York city feel out of control like it did three weeks ago during the height of the coronavirus or does it feel more, more back to normal? I I'm just wondering. No, I mean, this is the truth. The truth is I haven't been to New York since March 13th. Um, oh, you're kidding. I've been in the suburbs sequestered and working from home like a good, uh, corporate suburbanite and doing dopey from my attic. Um, but for the first time in my life, I've started watching the news extensively and uh, and watching, you know, New York for hours at a time on the news. And I've I mean, I lived in New York my whole life and uh, I never saw anything like it. And, and a bunch of my close friends live on 14th Street and they're sm they're smelling smoke. And in the mornings, all the stores are boarded up and busted up. And it's like they didn't get to Katz's. They went to uh, Broadway and Houston, and they didn't turn. They went left. to the Whole Foods down the street. Yeah, right? they smashed so much stuff, and I never. I mean, my dad said 1968 in Manhattan was was much worse. 1968 in Brooklyn and the Bronx were much worse. But in my life, I never saw anything like it, and it, it scares the shit out of me, really. It does. You've become weak-willed and feeble-minded. You're not the old Dave from the Lower East Side that can handle anything. No. You can shoot up with rainwater out of the out of the gutter. No, I was not always weak-willed and feeble-minded. <laughs> I was the nervous wreck who had to like I would I would try to find a vein and I would hit my muscle and it would be like a cartoon where the hose would get backed up and my skin would get really big. <laughs> you know, Chris was the was the the puddled shooter. I was the weak-willed one. Um, no. Okay, so I'm I'm the guy that when I miss and it gets that lump, I just rub it with my thumb to try to rub it that, in whatever yeah. veins are there. That's what I did too. I, I thought it would be like Tom and Jerry, and the shit would just go through. <laughs> um, but I I think I've always been a calm yet malcontented complainer. The weird thing for me, right? When when Chris and I started making Dopey and things would happen in the world, me and Chris would unilaterally just say, we don't really care about that. You know, I was four months clean when we started. You know, now I'm coming up on five years and all of a sudden I'm caring about stuff that I never thought I would care about. What is that about, Bob? 
Well, I mean, me too, but I, I care in a different kind of way. I think generally in the beginning, yeah, I thought the world is going to become a better place. And about 10 years ago, I just gave up any thought of that. After 9-11, so how long is 9-11? It's like 19, 19 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. So 19 years ago, um, I saw my liberal, liberal brothers and sisters, as Cornell West would say, talking out of their minds about what had happened and how personally they took that. Now you could take it personally because you were probably right below it, but they wanted to go bomb the middle East. And these are liberal, like screenwriters in Hollywood yes. musicians. And I was like, you know, what, what good is that going to do? Like there was, everybody wanted, um, uh, what is it called? Revenge or sure. justice right. or all this. And I did it. And then I saw Bush who, who by, in my opinion, had stolen an election away or, or Ralph Nader gave it to him. I don't know which one, but, but I just felt like this guy now just went from 46% approval rating to a 90% approval rating. Cause some airplanes flew into a buildings. Like I don't even belong in this country anymore. I just stopped believing that this country could become the place from when I was 12 years old that I always thought, well, it's within our, my, it's within our grasp to become the country that we could become. Right. It's within our, I no longer think that I only think things are getting more discombobulated more disconnected, more partisan, more crazy. So for you, that was, that was when the dream died. Of America. Yeah, when my friends wanted to go bomb the Middle East, they weren't even particular on what country they wanted to go bomb. Right. <laughs> like, I was just Let's like, get them. What? Right. So now nothing has surprised me since then. Plus, um, you know, he gets a horrible reputation now because of his namesake. But Andrew Breitbart was an acquaintance of mine. So Andrew started Huffington Post. That's one thing that most people don't remember. And then he went out on his own and started Breitbart. And Breitbart was really a nonpartisan website. It was just showing how crazy the Democrats are and how they take for granted the black black community and the black vote. And he was saying, and he said, right, a couple of years before he died or a year before he died, if America doesn't wake up to what is happening, you're going to end up with somebody like Donald Trump as president. He was saying the you can't have this polarization. You can't have this demonization of each other. Now, Bannon took Breitbart and made it into demonization. But Andrew's thing was, um, you know, like, this is crazy. We're not we're not the same people anymore. We can't hate each other for having differing opinions. Like, I'm I'm entitled to having a more libertarian opinion. And he just started seeing what was going on in the 2000s, like liberalism, like, you know, becoming Maoism. Right. And, and you know, and, and so now we're just Trump is the reaction to that and Trumpers are the reaction to that. Breitbart now is the website and alt-right is the reaction to that liberal fascism. So I just really think all is lost. But the great thing about America so far, and it still exists, is you can build your own little world within it. 
Right. You can just disconnect and take care of your kids and love your friends and try to, you know, have a business and try to help the people around you and your community and care about your kids' school and stuff like that. And I wish more people would just start caring like me and my friends care, like we started a music school, we're starting another music school, do things. I've worked with No Kid Hungry, as this thing's called, to get food to kids in the Coachella Valley. Just do shit that's important right around you and stop looking at this these unsolvable national problems. Right. So you're and saying I, to find little connections that can make you happy and do some good. Yeah. And, and, we'll go, right. Yeah, like our Narcan thing that Allo does. We give out free Narcan. We go and get sign up for these grants and shit and get the Narcan and go give it to drug addicts. Now the dopey yeah. nation the dopey nation is a bunch of addicts in and out of recovery and they're definitely affected by what's happening, at least the ones who are in recovery. I know, and I'm saying they're paying too much attention to unsolvable problems. We're not going to solve racism in America. America is a racist, extremely capitalistic, vicious, horrible, anxiety-creating entity. There's Unless you want to just fundamentally burn it down like I think the Republicans want to and the Trumpers want to, I think you're just going to have to do what you can where you are with what you've got. And that is needle exchanges, fentanyl testing kits, you know, trying to get somebody into rehab, caring, you know, caring about your kid's school, trying to learn like how to navigate what you can have say over. Right. You know, but my my favorite thinker of the last of the last 25 years is Dave Foster Wallace. And in his speech, of it's called This is Water. He says it's not so important as to learn how to think just to know what to think about. Right. And if you're sitting there thinking about the Minneapolis Police Department's chokeholds policies and you live in Los Angeles, that's really not, you're not going to affect that in any way, I, I don't think. It's, Minneapolis need to do something about the Minneapolis uh, chokehold uh, policy. Of, right. uh, like Los Angeles people need to care that there are, you know, two million Los Angelian kids who don't know if they're going to have breakfast tomorrow. Why don't you fucking focus on that? Right. And us addicts, there's fucking 100,000 people going to die of drugs overdoses, mostly of fentanyl in the United States in 2000 and 2020. Why don't you try to do what you can to save maybe two lives in your community? There was recently this crazy uh, line of overdoses here uh, from fentanyl in the last few weeks, just like. I mean, like a dozen people, 25 people dead. There are fentanyl testing kits. Get them out to drug addicts. Be direct with them. Look them in the eye and go, listen, I'm not saying don't do fentanyl. I gave up that argument like two years ago. The kids love the fentanyl, Dave. They love it. They love it. And I guess if we were drug addicts, we would love it too. That's what Mike Mart says. That's what Chris, yeah, like, Chris, Chris used to always say. He would say, we're lucky that we stopped using before the fentanyl came out. And I guess that he had a feeling in the back of his head that he needed to try it. And then everything that he thought <laughs> was real. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's the worst story ever. You know, but but that was I yeah. Mean, but he, fent- the fentanyl stuff, like it's here to stay. We're not going to convince these kids to. And then what's our argument? Think of how crazy our argument. I told kids this two and three years ago, and I just I would hear my me saying the words, and it just seemed 
seem so insane. I would say, what's wrong with heroin? Just use heroin. It's much safer. Right. You know, and then you're like a drug counselor telling kids to use heroin because it's much safer. Yeah. Well, that's another part of how crazy everything's become. I literally told fentanyl, you know, kids who were abusing fentanyl and relapsing on fentanyl that. And then I heard myself say, like, just do heroin. Right. Well, and, let me ask you this, Bob. Let me ask you this. Let me pose this question, right? You're sick in the street, right? And you're copping dope and you have your fentanyl test, right? And you test right. the fentanyl and it comes up fentanyl, but you're in withdrawal. So what do you what do you propose for that? You dilute to it. So the dumb thing that people are doing is just diluting it in half. Yeah, that's what, I would, <laughs> that's what I would do. That's what I would do. Yeah. So you're saying you've got to get a you've got to get a cup. And you've got to put what's in your spoon in the cup, and then you've got to put, like, probably, you know, at least three syringefuls of water in there. And then suck a little 20 cc's out and shoot it and see what happens, I guess. This is the best, this is, this is the best <laughs> advice I've heard in a long time. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think that's what you got to do. You got to thin it out. Because you can't tell somebody to throw out their, no, what but, they got. But, you know? what, but kids have been thinning it out, but not enough. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to dilute it down too much. So there's an example of some of the don't die guys in Wisconsin told me that a kid who had a fentanyl testing kit, I think Patrick told me, um, who's a big listener of Dopey, by the way, uh, that he, the kid had to, a kid, boy and a girl, a couple, Bonnie and Clyde, they test the dope. It's got fentanyl in it. So the boy says, well, we'll just dilute it in half. So, you know, if any, uh, if you're a sophisticated drug addict, you'll know what I'm saying. So you're going to put some more water in the spoon, fill the spoon up, and they each take a syringe hit and they both OD. Wow. So that's when I started thinking the way that fentanyl is so powerful, you've got to dilute that down like 10 times. You might as well. You know, it'll, it'll make it last too. And you won't die. You can still do it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can still do it all. You know, you know, it might take you five shots, but you'll do it all. The other thing that I was thinking about the Keith Richards method, which, which you know, our generation and, and the, what became multiple following generations is intravenous drug use. The Keith Richards generation, the Iggy Pop generation. They're just skin pop, the, right? They're skin popping. Yeah. They're intermuscular. I, I've never talked sophisticatedly enough with doctors to understand like, Hey, if the kids who just diluted it down 50%, if they would have shot it in their butts, would they have died? Would they have OD'd? You know? And I, I think it's pretty hard to OD intermuscular. I don't know. Probably now I'll have one guy crucify me on the internet. Well, let's oh, find by the out. Way, Dave, I'm yes. off the internet. You know how much my life has changed? Zero. Fucking zero, people. Well, explain. I'm not on Hold Facebook. On I'm not on Instagram. My life has changed not one fucking bit. Wait, Bob, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're saying you, you got off. I I just realized I haven't seen you on Instagram in a while. You're not on Instagram. You're not on Facebook and your life has changed. Has it benefited from, from coming off of it or no? No, it's the same. You, 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 we're placing too much emphasis on this for-profit instrument of Mark Zuckerberg's. That guy, if any of you want to continue to give money to Mark Zuckerberg, God bless you. No, but what God I'm asking you, Bob, bless you. what I'm asking Everybody you. Everybody should leave Facebook immediately. But are there been benefits of leaving? What have the benefits of leaving been? 
for you personally? I, I haven't been uh, insulted by by strangers. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I hear you. My, my, how about this? My day has only been ruined by my children and my wife and my friends, not by strangers. Well, that's the way it should be. That's that's the way it should be. <laughs> True. That's the truth. I mean, I thought we, you know, a lot of the dopey stuff I've been hearing, a lot of it's subject and topical and whatever, but you're getting away from the drug stories of the past. So I want to tell you one of my greatest drug stories. Oh, Bob, thank you. And it involves musicians. So I think everyone will find it fascinating. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to say the names because we're too old to get upset, but me and Anthony were. Uh, before we got into heroin, we were into stimulants. So only we would shoot coke all, you know, for two days until we ran out of money. And then we would just lay on a couch and cry for like a day and then, and, um, then do it again. But we were scared of heroin. So we were in our coke days and we we're over at our, uh, the guy that we got coke from. I don't like to label people dealers because, uh, a lot of times, Dave, your friends that you, when, they're really just friends of yours that had a lot of drugs that they were trying to cover their use. Right? Sure. Yeah. Does that make them a drug dealer? Because a friend of mine, you know, Frenchie's always kind of nervous about that. He goes, I don't know that I was a drug dealer. I was a drug doer and I was trying to cover my cost and you and you know, Pete would buy it from me. But, um, but anyway, so we went over to a drug doer's house to buy cocaine from him and a mutual friend of ours was there. And, and we got to doing Coke and the mutual friend, who's, who's very one of my idols in music, so I'm not going to say his name, he said, hey, you know, I was going to go up to San Francisco. You want to go? And me and Anthony were like, sure. And we, we were just on a whim from this cocaine dealer's house. Uh, we got in this guy's car and we were driving up to San Francisco. Wait, Bob, 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 Bob. Was it Jerry, Gar- was it Jerry Garcia? No, okay. it was a folk singer guy. Okay. Uh, he, he'll get upset because he's sober. So I'm not going to throw Anthony under the bus, but not him. Okay. So we're driving and Anthony's in the backseat and he and I shoot it, but the other guy just snorts it. Right. So I'm holding up on a book lines for him to do while he's driving. And then I'm putting my arm in the backseat for Anthony to shoot me up. And we're just coked out of our minds. It's like two o'clock in the morning. And also we're drinking to right. come down from the coke. Yes. So we're passing a bottle of, uh, I think, Southern Comfort around. And and the guy driving um, takes a hit of Southern Comfort and swerves and hits the middle divider and sparks are going up and it's all crazy. <laughs> it was spin out of control, but then he regains control and the car seems fine. He looks at me and I look at Anthony and we're like, yeah, keep going. Like, no, no reason to stop. <laughs> what good can come from stopping? Right. So we keep going. We're in we're out near Bakersfield and that tire had, you know, that got hit the center divider. I guess it eventually wore down and got a flat tire. And so um, we're just stuck on I-5 at like 3.30 in the morning. And those two who are kind of A personalities, I, you know, even though I'm a type A personality, I wasn't as type A as the two of them. So the two of them decide we'll walk to get help. You stay here and guard the car. (laughs) And right. Yeah. So, so 
I go, I go, but, but wait, because they both have the cocaine. I don't have any. One guy <laughs> yes. has like a gram. Anthony has like two grams and they're leaving with the cocaine. And I'm going to, I'm already kind of coming down in that lonely, sad, yes, no more cocaine, terrible, terrible feeling. The Southern comfort is gone. We have a flat tire losing enthusiasm for San Francisco by the second. Yes. Right. And they go, okay, and so Anthony just makes me a little bindle and gives me, like, one line. One fucking line. Fucking Anthony. And so and they start they start hitchhiking on I-5. It's like 3.30 in the morning. This is in the 80s or mid-80s. And, and I see them, and they keep walking and walking, and then I see this car pull over, and they get in, and they're driving away, and they're going to the town of Gorman is where they were going. And so I'm sitting there. They're 3.30 when they leave. 4.30 rolls around. 5.30 rolls around. I do the one line. I'm crashing. I'm <laughs> tweaking. I'm feeling awful. Yes. You know the feeling. Yes. I'm, I'm thinking, when are they coming back? Are they coming back? They're not coming back. They've been arrested. You know, every thought you can have. They're when dead. you're coming down again. That Rolling Stone song. So perfect about cocaine coming down again so sun starts to come up and i'm just like i'm sick and just awful and i just want to go home you know that feeling yeah the end. and i'm a hundred miles from home Bakersfield. on a highway with a flat tire car but it gets better what happens and as the sun's coming up highway patrol Highway patrol knocking on the door. Now, I've been sleeping in the back seat. That doesn't look good, right? And you're like a big rock and roll guy with long hair, dreads, crazy, right? Yeah, dreadlocks. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Knocks on the window. I crawl over into the front seat. I roll down the window. It was a crank. It was a Barracuda car, an old Barracuda. Crank it down. I go, yes, can I help you? And he goes, "Uh, what's happening here? And I said, well, we got a flat tire. My two friends uh, are, have, have walked to get, the, get help. And he goes, do you have a driver's license? And I said, well, I'm not driving the car. And <laughs> he goes, I didn't ask if you were driving the car. I can see the car is not driving anywhere. Can I see your driver's license, please? And now I have warrants out, Dave. This is not, how can this be happening? We were at a Coke dealer's house. We were having fun. It's six hours later. Now I'm going to get arrested on I-5, and and it's nobody's fault but mine. Right. So give him my driver's license. And he's he's saying, so where are you going? I said, we're going to San Francisco. He goes, oh, you're from L.A. And somehow he liked me. I don't know why. That's and he crazy. goes, well, where are, your, where are your friends? And I said, well, they left like two hours ago. I don't know what's going on, if there's a tow truck or whatever. And he goes, well, come with me. I'll d- drive you into town. We'll try to find them. So the coolest highway patrol guy, right? You do luck out sometimes. Rarely, but I'm with you. Turns out that they don't have reception out there. So he couldn't run my driver's license to see the warrant. Brilliant. <laughs> Is that great? So we get to the little town. It's got like a gas station that's closed and a diner. I walk into the diner. The driver of the car is sitting at the, at the, at the counter having coffee, flirting with the, with the waitress. I go, dude, I've been out there for fucking hours. <laughs> the, the, the sheriff is with me, the highway patrol guy. I go, well, thank you so much. This is the guy. The guy 
the guy who's driving the car turns and looks and he's all nervous. Of course. Like, what's going on? And I go, well, they're asking what we're doing about the car. And he goes, we're waiting for the gas station to open. Highway patrol guy leaves. I go, where is Anthony? And all the guy does is point at the bathroom door of the diner. Yes. I go knock on there. Dude. And I hear the most tweaked out Anthony. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I go, dude, it's me. Let me in. He goes, me who? And I go, it's Bob. I go, dude, you left me out there for hours. He goes, just a minute. <laughs> How long do you think that just a minute was, Dave? How long do you think that just a minute was? How long was it? was it? like an hour and a half before he came out of that bathroom. Oh, God. He went in that bathroom with two and a half grams of cocaine, half of which was mine. He, he came out of there with none. He shot with it all. none. Yes. Amazing. So then he's feeling good. He goes, okay, let's get the tire fixed. Let's go. The guy whose car it is goes, I, I don't want to go to San Francisco anymore. Right? And so we get the tire fixed, and Anthony keeps talking to the guy. No, we're going to San Francisco. He said, we're going to San Francisco. He's feeling good. Dave. He's high, yeah. Me and the other guy are not feeling good. We're not go- We don't want to go to San Francisco. I want to go home. And then he looked, Anthony looks at me like, you're going to be a pussy and go home? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I go, dude, let's just go home. He goes, no, we said we're going to San Francisco. We're going to fucking San Francisco. And I was like, I don't really see the point. By this time, it's like eight in the morning. Right. <laughs> How good am I feeling? You're done. Awful. And he's flying. Uh, he's flying. So the guy says, okay, get the tire fixed. Okay, fuck you guys. I'm going back to L.A. I, I still remember him going over the viaduct of the five freeway and getting on the uh, on-ramp, going back to L.A. on the other side, a red barracuda. And I just look at Anthony and I go, dude, what are we going to do? He goes, we just started walking and we hitchhiked to Bakersfield, which took us all day to get to Bakersfield, like, uh, you know, 50 miles. We hang out there. We go to a club called the Rebel Yell, literally after the Billy Idol song. It has a picture of Billy Idol <laughs> with, with the glove. I <laughs> we love hang this. out there. We meet some girls. We go stay at their house. We were in Bakersfield for two days. Then I'm thinking, and that was kind of fun, and we regrouped and got some money in Western Union to us, unlike the Venmo generation. You had to wait at a Western Union for money. And we got some meth, I think, up there, and we hung out there for a couple days, and I'm thinking, like, we're going home. Anthony's like, dude, we said we're going to San Francisco. We're going to San Francisco. I go, dude, we've been gone for three days. We're nowhere near San Francisco. I want to go home. Eventually, we went to San Francisco. We slept in the vats, which all your San Francisco dopey nation will remember. There was this beer place, the beer making company in the Mission District that went bankrupt, and all the punk rockers lived in the vats. Okay, so it you, was so great. So you stayed at the vats of San Francisco. Did you get? Did yeah. you get more drugs there? And how did you get yeah, home? Yeah, meth, meth was big then. We just we do we just were kids. We were stimulating kids. And we stayed in San Francisco for like a week until, and this is what's good. We were both had bands by then who were missing us. You know, they were always hated us, but when we were gone for like six, seven days, they were like, hey, where are you guys? And then you could get money wired home. We took a Greyhound home. Greyhound awesome. bus home from San Francisco. Those were the days, my friend. But what was that? That was community. That was looking out for yourself. That was wild and free. Adventure. That's not... 
there was adventure and I'll never forget that, that, that just, and it was just fun. It was fun though. It was total hell and misery. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I do. There's some dude in the dopey nation who, uh, he's in this, uh, you know, the, you know, the Dharma punks, what it's like Dharma recovery, whatever. Yeah. 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 He, um, he's so tired of being in New York that he's going to live in a van for the summer because he wants a taste of the adventure. He, I mean, I think that if nothing else, all of this rioting COVID quarantine, it is triggering a wanderlust in, in the dopey nation, you know, to be wild and free. With or without well, I drugs. That, I think I think that the, the protests are human. I think that's why the kids are loving it so much. I think it's why it's lasting so long. In 92, the riots really, literally, the protests, whatever you want to call it, lasted four days. Four days and nights, and it was over. And it was mostly L.A. This is way different. This is the whole country every night for 10 days well but don't you think bob don't you think a lot of it has to do human connection well they've been with people right they've been they've been suffocated for months with this quarantine no they've been suffocated by the digital generation here we go this this is humanness so that guy that guy that was inhuman what they did to that guy yes and guess what they do it every fucking night somewhere in america I mean, that's, see, that's the cynicism of being old. Right. I mean, when I, when I was young and righteous, they took a little boy and tied him up and drug him behind a truck in Texas because he was black. And I'm sure, it, it, and I'm sure this, that happens all the time too. And I'm sure, I'm sure that still happens too. And th- this guy. Yeah, for sure. There's a hideous, ugly side of this country that, that has always been there and always will be there. It, it, just because there's a beacon on the hill doesn't mean there's not hideous, grotesque uh, ignorance and 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 ugliness down in the village. That's for sure. But I, I mean, I think you're making a good point. People are craving this connection, and they're and they're connecting. And you can't. I mean, I don't like the violence in the city. I don't like the violence between people. I don't like the violence between, I I hate to see, you know, store owners losing their livelihoods. I hate to see fucking cops beating up kids, but I do love to see the people together, but I am a little bit nervous about the stupid spike in the, in the COVID, you know, we're in a really weird time. It's a weird time. We are in some crazy times. It it is craziness, but you know, I I don't know. I, I bought, a kiddie pool. Yes. Um, because it's gotten hot here in LA. It's like a hundred degrees yesterday. Um, so I got a kiddie pool, right? And it was sitting there and this ingenuity of not being glued to Facebook and Instagram and all the nonsense, how, you know, if you're a grown adult, you should get off the kids' websites. So, so, uh, I'm sitting there and I, and, and Sydney wanted to go on the trampoline. And when the sun beats on a black trampoline, it's like really hot. So you have to sit there and shoot the hose. I said, Sid, I got a great idea. I jumped the water out of the kiddie pool that was on the patio, put it up in the trampoline, filled it with water. She was jumping in it. It was the craziest fucking thing. I thought I, you know, it was the greatest invention ever. A kiddie pool on a trampoline. You jump in it, the water splashes up. It was crazy. It was fun as hell. It was like meth in Bakersfield. It was the real thing. Yes, it was like the rebel yell in Bakersfield that night. Amazing. 
Bob, I so appreciate you calling in and, and dropping the dopey. The dopey nation needs the dopey, and you deliver it, my friend. I'm going to send you a picture of Sydney with her her masterpiece invention that her dad created of a of a kiddie pool on a trampoline. Well, I love that. I love that, Bob. And thank Post you. it for you. I love dopey nation. We dopey lo- mediocre. Thrive for humanness. Thrive for humanness. That is a beautiful message, Bob, and thank you. Okay. Right on. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I love when Bob comes on the show. Bob and Nzinga is like the ebony and ivory of Dopey. It's like the Othello cookie episode. It's black and white in every bite. No stone is left unturned. And a great story with uh, Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. What, What more could you want? But regardless of what you might want, I'm going to give you what you need, which is a dose of my father and his take on this insane time and uh, the dopey review of the week. I know you guys love to hear from my dad. He fled the city. Now he's back. He has a headache, but he's going to do his best to not be bad. Right, Dad? Right. You, right. You just told me to fake it. I'm fine. I'm, I feel fine. Yes. Why don't you describe how your head feels to the dopey nation? It is perfect. It's good. If 10 is terrible, I'm a 2. That's fine. I don't know what you're... You always used to give me shit about complaining. I don't know what you're complaining about. Well, you complain all the time. All right, I don't... I'm not complaining anymore. I'm finished. Well, wouldn't you say that... Wouldn't you say, Dad, if our family did anything well, what would you say that thing was? You mean kvetching? (laughs) You mean complaining? Is that what we do well? If If we had a family crest, do you think it would have somebody complaining on it? I... No, of course not. No. What would be on our family crest? Um, I don't know, spaghetti and meatballs? I don't know. Maybe that would... <laughs> that would not be on our family crest. Anyway, so the the world has started to end and unravel, and you decided to head for the hills, correct? Well, actually, yeah, I guess that's correct. But that wasn't my reason, though. Uh, but that was... I did go up and head to the hills, yes. As As the rioting masses made their way right past your building... Uh, you you slept soundly and had no idea, huh? Well, let's say Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Today, what's today? Today is Thursday. Thursday. No, today's Friday. Friday. Today's Friday. Yes. All right. So I was in I was in Manhattan last Friday, last Saturday, last Sunday, uh, and yeah, the sirens going off, et cetera, et cetera. But um, nothing. I mean, I was fine. I was fine, and then. I think I came up here, up, I came up, I escaped, and I went up on Monday, but it was, I think, two days ago that I got a message, you know, from the the buildings uh, that they had with windows broken in stores and graffiti, and the supermarket, my supermarket on Ninth Avenue was, uh, was a... Was a Looted, which is really awful. It's why, all boarded up now. Why do you go to Ninth Avenue? Why don't you go to the one on the corner? The one on the corner isn't great. Uh, I go there too. I mean, I go. There's lots of supermarkets, but the one on Ninth Avenue is. It really caters caters you know to the 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 projects. It caters you know to all the people in the neighborhood, and that's the one that was looted. That's the one you like because it's cheaper, is what you're saying. It has. Well, they have herring there, which they don't have in the local one. Let me ask you this. 
Why would our family crest be spaghettis and meatballs? I mean, that's I the, would, it's the stupidest answer I've ever. Why? What? I ask a serious question, and you come up with the because you like spaghetti and meatballs is the reason you said that. That's the reason I said that. Now, of course, it's important for everybody to know why would our family have a family crest? I mean, isn't that sort of pretentious? Isn't that that elite stuff that we're supposed to be against? We don't we don't deserve a family crest in terms of <laughs> I think it would be somebody complaining or maybe somebody teaching or maybe somebody shooting heroin. What what should go on the family crest? Definitely not somebody um, eating spaghetti and meatballs. No, of course not. We track that. You can edit that out. Now, the family crest should be the 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 importance of education, which I think would solve a lot of the problems going on uh in the world. The importance of education and the importance of of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes, that's All right. important. Well, that's a great pivot. And that I mean, like, what do you take? I mean, like, I called you up and I was like, I can't believe what's going on and everybody's looting and the city's going crazy. And you said 1968 looked worse. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, listen, I actually, I actually did some research and looked up the riots in the past. Uh, and and there were horrible riots in the past, including major one, including a made big one in New York City, like during the Civil War, uh, with many people were killed. And then, of course, in 1967, 1968, in New York, uh, all over the country, it was terrible, terrible. So where where people were saying, you know, I read somebody was writing that uh, uh, that peaceful, you know, demonstrations don't do any good. So that's why people riot. Well, the riots never did any good in the past. It was just a horrible, horrible thing that innocent people uh, were hurt for no reason when the peaceful protesters are protesting what's important to be protesting. And, and people who loot, they were criminals, and they still are, and it's just not has anything to do with, with promoting uh, democracy uh, that's what the protest is supposed to be, which, of course, is 100 percent true. Well, and, uh, doctor, you know, doctor, that that woman, yeah. Dr. Nzinga Harrison, is on the show again this week. Yeah. And she says to make change, you need a stew of radical and peaceful protests. That's the way you make change that in the 60s change happened because of a stew. Of of both violent and nonviolent. Not that she was endorsing violence, but the violence is an answer to the 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 brutality, basically, is what she was talking about. Now, I think your point about education is very very uh, important because it makes you wonder. You know, like who is doing the most violent protests? Do they know that this is not going to do any good, or are they just so angry? You know, the anger maybe trumps the education. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to disagree with with Dr. Harrison. I think she's absolutely terrific, and I, I really enjoyed her. I mean, obviously, I didn't hear what she's saying tonight, but I certainly enjoyed her when she was on on the last time. Look, I have a I have a problem with with innocent people being hurt. I, I have a problem with that when when countries bomb people and innocent people get killed, and when people are protesting peacefully and looters destroy property and damage, uh, you know, other people's belongings and even worse in terms of physical harm to other people. So when innocent people get hurt, that really is the epitome of something that seems to be incredibly unjust, especially when you're trying to do something that you think is very just. 
of course, violence has happened throughout history, and I think this human nature, human nature of violence is inbred genetically for some reason, and it has to be countered as much as possible. Uh, you know, the story of me being violent uh, uh, is, is, I think I told that story on Dopey uh, when mommy was in a coma and I got upset at somebody in the street and I was just venting. Uh, it's easy to be violent. I'm just saying that it's not, it's, it's not a good human response. Listen, stop, Dad. Stop talking. Because I think that might have been the most cogent thing you said uh, in the history of your life, maybe. Um, what time out? What are you talking about? I've said lots of coaching things. Let's uh, just quit while you're ahead. Um, and I don't think it's easy for everyone to be violent. I mean, that time you had an instinct to be violent, but you didn't get violent. And and I've never no. been violent. You got upset, but you didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think no. violence is uh, it comes from a place um, that luckily you haven't had to go there. You know, you haven't had a life that has inspired you to be violent. Right. That's true. Though I did throw a punch at the guy, but I missed him by about eight feet. <laughs> okay. So maybe, maybe, so maybe there was violence. Um, now, more importantly, I appreciate Well, not more importantly, but I don't, you know, I think you've said it all. If you want to run for office, I think maybe you'd have a chance as a write in from the dopey nation with these, uh, with these dudes who are running. You know, you could actually uh, be the new, uh, really old Jewish candidate. Supplanting Bernie Sanders. Are you older than Bernie or younger than Bernie? That's a good point. Uh, I think Biden is older than me, and Bernie, I think, is the same age as me or younger. I think I'm in between Bernie and Biden. B-A-B. You look much better than Bernie and Biden. You sound much better than Biden, but I don't think the country's ready for a Jewish president. Do you have any criticism you want to make about the show, or do you want to just go to the review? Uh, I, well, actually, I wasn't thinking of any criticism of the show. Is there something you want? Oh, by the way, I have to apologize. When I said you were going to do 28 ums that last time I was on, you only said um five times. It was like a major breakthrough. I'm a very professional. I'm a very professional podcaster. It was, uh, I was very impressed with your lack of ums. Okay. Excellent. Now we will move on to the dopey review of the week. Yes, go. Okay. This is Recovery in a Bundle by Orf36. This podcast is the first podcast and only podcast in parenthesis that has perfectly blended telling war stories drunk along with solid sobriety and recovery. I think this is great for the newcomer because they can hear the crazy stories to relate with and know they are not alone. This was instrumental for me listening to doping and finding that sense of belonging early on. Now I find a sense of belonging and sobriety listening to doping, knowing that recovery is possible possible and life does get better thanks guys toodles for chris all right now read the next one thank you thank you orf 36 that was beautiful i appreciate that all right so now the next one says always looking looking forward to dopey by no 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 read the other one which one the the one the one you read before oh that's not a good one yeah read it uh, okay, this is uh, all right. I won't even say who it is, but it's I no. Say who it is. Say who it is. 
Uh, back from Broken Podcast by Kathy Underline GH. Kathy Underline GH. All right. Five stars. Yeah, yeah five stars. Wait, wait a the dopey nation hears this one. I, re- I recently started listening to Back from Broken based on your ad and fell in love with it. It's great journalistic storytelling. I tried to come back to Dopey, and she spells it Dewey, D-O-O-E-Y, but have a problem listening to the meandering banter with friends. It was different with Cruz, so she means Chris, and she spelled it C-H-R-U-S, of course. Can we get back to the storytelling? Oh, she wants to keep listening. Can we get back to the storytelling by guests to keep the show engaging? All right, she's just giving you criticism. I think maybe Kathy should just listen to Back From Broken. I think we're done with Kathy. Kathy, I think you should move on. Get out while you can. Move on, Kathy. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I don't think. I think. Uh, listen, I I think that she's not giving up on you, and she has that criticism, and of course, uh, that's her own criticism. However, I do want to say that the stories, you know, from Misty, um, such a sweet lady, uh, was was wonderful to hear. And the stories that the people are writing in and talking about on Facebook are, are really very, very deep, wonderful stories that they give Dopey, you know, credit for, for help, which is, again, that's the reason why I think uh, it's absolutely terrific. Absolutely terrific. So what you're referring to is you like the Patreon episodes. So listen to the Patreon episodes there. Stories from the Dopey Nation for now. Subscribe to Dopey at iTunes. Supposedly that could do something for us. If you leave a review, leave a nice review. And if you want to leave a nice review for another podcast, why don't you review their podcast? Why are you reviewing their podcast on Dopey's fucking reviews? What the fuck is that, Dad? What do you think about that? I, I think you're getting upset. <laughs> well, what do you think? What is that about? Don't you have? I mean, aren't aren't you convinced that people have different points of view about all sorts of things, and sometimes they show no sense whatsoever? They should keep I mean, it to their fucking selves, unless it's a nice five star review. Or I'm sure Back from Broken would benefit from getting that review on their shit, not on our shit. No, well, yeah, I agree. I I agree with that. But obviously, your ad is doing good for them. Yes, I think this conversation is getting a little too meandering for Kathy. So we're just going to end the show. Uh, Dad, you want to say goodbye? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, uh, I hope everybody stays safe, and and I hope uh, that the peaceful protests remain peaceful, and that something good happens from all of this, and. Uh, and uh, everybody, uh, please stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. What about these reviews, these terrible reviews about the show? What do you think about that? I'm looking at my screen, and, and there's like six in a row of five-star reviews, so stop complaining. Well, the back from Broken was a five-star review. Yeah, I'm counting that one also. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dad. <laughs> Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And if you're going to leave a five-star review, just make it nice, for fuck's sake. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you.